Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Amy Shallot. She is the author of Not Under My Roof, Parents, Teens, and the Culture of Sex. It's an award-winning book that looks at the differences in adolescent sexuality and how it's handled in American and Dutch families. Specifically, she looks at why it is that American parents will not let teenagers have sleepovers with their romantic partners while Dutch parents will say yes to this in some circumstances. In researching this issue, she uncovered all kinds of interesting differences between the way parents treat sexuality in these two cultures. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, in Time Magazine, in Salon. She's been awarded research grants from the Ford Foundation. Really excited to speak with Amy today about her book and about what should we do when our teenagers have boyfriends and girlfriends and they want to move to the next level. Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Orient me and our listeners here on what got you into this whole thing. What do you study? What do you write about? And why did you choose that topic? So I've written a book, Not Under My Roof, that looks at how parents deal with adolescent sexuality differently in the U.S. and the Netherlands. And you could say I sort of got into it through two different routes. One was through my personal biography. I grew up in the Netherlands myself, but my parents were from the United States. And I um, would visit uh, in the summers. And one of the moments that stands out in my memory is of visiting a teenage girl who was a friend of mine at that time and asking her sort of very casually when she was complaining about not having time to, to spend with her boyfriend, well, doesn't he spend the night with you? And she, you know, even now, you know, several decades later, we both remember that moment because it was so yeah. weird to her that I was asking that. Like, of course not. It was weird to me that she thought it was weird. Right. And it was partly weird because her father was a scientist. Her mother was kind of a, almost like a flower powery type of hippie lady, you know? And I was like, well, why is this not allowed? It's not like they were sort of Bible thumping, you know, conservative parents. Yeah, right, right. Sure, close-minded. Yeah, and so, so that, that, that was a curiosity that started at that time. But the formal study of the topic came 
later when i moved back to this country and i could see that in in many ways it was curious why this was so different not just from my own personal experience bumping up against it but that you have two countries that are both modern countries teenagers you know generally go to school many go off to college they have very similar experiences in that way both countries went through a sexual revolution in the 60s contraception is available a lot of cultural overlap exactly why, why yeah, is this yeah, right. so different? both very highly educated populations exactly. and and middle class yeah. and, so yeah, why yeah. is it so different so there was the why question but then there was always also a motivational piece that had to do with well this Dutch way might be able to help in some ways Americans who, you know, as a country, uh, individual families, there might be something there that could help make this be less difficult an experience. Just going back to that, that friend of mine, you know, I, I, I noticed that they would have a hard time talking about it at home and and did it have to be like that? So there was all, there was kind of the intellectual piece, and then there was also the like, wait, maybe there's something that could help. I just think that's so interesting, and it's such a huge difference. This came up actually when I was interviewing Peggy Orenstein, and she specifically mentioned your work, and we talked about this same issue, and that's what inspired me to uh, want to talk to you about it and go straight to the source because it's so fascinating. It's such a big difference. And when you actually start to look at it, the American view kind of breaks down in certain ways. Something in your book that was really interesting to me, you talk about the fact that the U.S. medical establishment views teenage sexual intercourse as a health risk. Um, I guess it makes sense because there's lots of, you know, potentially negative side effects that can occur as a result of it. But what are the implications of that? Well, you know, I think that's a good question because I think when we look at parents and sort of where do they get their ideas in the both countries, one of the places where parents get their ideas of how should they approach this part of their children's lives, it comes from how do doctors react, you know, and how, how does the research frame it when you see it in the newspaper. So what happened in Holland, I think fairly early on in the 1970s was that the doctors, especially the ones who provide routine care, family physicians, uh, decided to make contraceptive counseling a routine part of what happens for adolescents. And as a result, the Dutch teen pregnancy rate went down radically. And so it's one of the lowest now in, in, the, in the Western world. And it is important piece. I'll get to the Americans in a moment. But the reason that's so important is that if you associate teen sexuality teen sexual intercourse with pregnancy, like that is going to be part of it, then of course you're going to be a lot more afraid. Whereas if you associate it with, well, this is part of the developmental process and when teens are ready, you know, when I grew up there um, uh, several decades ago, we thought of teen pregnancy as something from the past. Like that's not really there anymore. <laughs> In the U.S., things went differently, and for all kinds of reasons, not just having to do with the medical establishment, also had, had 
strong political reasons that it didn't go that way, but it didn't. And as a consequence, when you think of teen sexuality as per definition a risk, ironically, you're less able to deal with the risks that you're confronting. And one of the arguments I've made, and I'm not alone, but in interfacing with doctors is that sexuality is a developmental process. You know, it's part of what people learn about it within themselves. What is, what is my sexuality? What do I want? What do I not want? How do I learn to relate to those feelings in a way that I, I feel good about myself? If you kind of understand teen sexual development more as a developmental process, then having clinicians help young people understand that process and then prepare so that their actions don't have unnecessary consequences, then you have a completely different experience of that. And you're actually ironically more able to prevent the risks that do exist. You talked briefly about how you noticed these differences in attitudes in America, and that's kind of what first made you get interested in this topic. So then I guess once you started like looking into it and researching it, did you discover statistically or scientifically that there were big differences? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did those look like? Um, yeah, no, I so I did, of course, you know, not just go on my personal experiences. I did, and I actually interviewed people, and I tried <laughs> to understand, like, how is this possible? How is this possible that, as you said, sort of in the U.S., and as I also found, there's a kind of gut reaction of like, no, this is not a good idea, not under my roof. Whereas in the Netherlands, the parents tend to respond, not necessarily like, oh, this is great. Let's have the boyfriend spend the night tomorrow, but that it's a more nuanced process of, you know, have they had a relationship for a while? Does that look like a positive relationship? Does the son or daughter feel ready? Are they ready? Are they able to kind of protect themselves? And so it's a kind of a much more of a nuanced decision-making process where the parents often will decide if there's been a, a, a relationship that they, they've gotten to know the partner and feel good about it, that, that a sleepover is possible. So you do have these cultural differences. I found that in my research. And then, well, why? And part of the answer I found is that parents understand teenage sexuality differently. They have different ideas about what it is. And in the U.S., there's a tendency to interpret teen sexuality as this hormonal process. You know, raging hormones is a very common term that I heard in the interviews. Right. And that teenagers can't control that process. So therefore, then they need their parents basically to say no, because, you know, someone needs to control it. Yeah, right. There's also a tendency in the U.S. for the parents to really look at relationships in adolescence as a battle where... It's you know, an antagonistic yes. boys versus girls kind of a mentality. Totally. And you see that everywhere. You see it on TV, too. I mean, I don't, do you know Friday Night Lights? Sure. <laughs> so I love Friday Night Lights, like uh, you know, <laughs> as most people do. It's one of the best shows ever. And I like, and the parents are so fantastic. But the scene that I really dislike, and if I had been in charge of that scene, I would have written it differently, which is basically mm. where the father sits down with his daughter and says, you know, oh, you know, 
look out for boys. They're out to get you. Boys this, boys that. You know, scaring her about boys. Well, in fact, her first boyfriend is like one of the sweetest, most sensitive guys ever. You know, so that sure. you see it, you see it, you see it in popular culture too, where there's a real emphasis on on the battle and to be afraid of one another. So the Dutch parents do this differently. Well, they, first of all, tend to emphasize young people's capacity to have self-knowledge and to have self-regulation when it comes to sexuality. So, you know, one father says, if she were ready, I'd let her be ready. This is a Dutch father of a 17-year-old of a daughter. And what he means is like, when she feels that she's ready, but he also relates that to being in a relationship feeling comfortable and then also again having those kind of preparatory steps to have reliable contraception so there's a, a way that dutch parents expect young people to be able to um know themselves regulate themselves so that they can uh, not just be overrun by hormones but the second really big difference and this is just as important is a different concept of adolescent love. So the Dutch mm. very much expect young people to fall in love. The, one of the biggest sex education curricula in the Netherlands is called Long Live Love. <laughs> and you know, one of the, one of the clips I use to to illustrate that is a I should give that to you so you can get, distribute it to the mm. parents. Is this Dutch teacher talking with a group of eleven year olds talking about how does it feel to be in love? Well, if you actually expect that your adolescents, now the Dutch don't allow sleepovers for 11 year olds, by the way, this, the idea is that you'd progress in your relationship yeah, and that, that you right. have There's sex stages in to the it. later teens, let, yeah. in, not in the early teens, but that if you expect young people to be able to fall in love, that their relationships mean something important to them and to the society, mm then you're going to have a very different approach about whether or not sex happens. Because, you know, if love has been an important part of life, then you're going to think that physical expressions of intimacy are part of that. So that's a very big difference. You pointed out uh, parent-regulated versus child regulated or teen regulated that in america parents really feel like it's their job to set the limits and set the boundaries whereas dutch parents feel a lot more like their child is in charge yes. of their own yes i was just interested in i guess does that mean that dutch parents feel like they just are supposed to step out of the way and let the kids do whatever they want or what no. what's the what's no, the alternative no. Well, one of the concepts you may remember um, that I introduce is a concept of control through connection. When you look at it from the outside, sometimes Dutch culture, people might think from the outside that it's an everything goes culture. But it, <laughs> Whoa. it really isn't, you know. So the, I think there is, on the one hand, the idea that when given the right environment, young people can self-regulate. But 
the key thing is regulate, not like do everything they want, you know? And so ironically, I actually think that Dutch parents often get to have more influence on their children's sexual lives than American parents because there's more of a conversation about contraception, about is this relationship a positive one for you? And when you bring it in the home, and, and, and that is part of the Dutch approach, is if you bring it into the home, then you can have more influence. You know, you can also sort of check out whether you, you like the partner, whether you think the relationship is, is positive. You can also ask young people to kind of take into account the rules of the house. You know, it's not like you just get to do any, anything. You know, the Dutch have very uh, strong rituals, for instance, about having dinner together, about celebrating birthdays together. There's all these ways that young people are expected to show up and be part of a family. So it's not that there's no control, but it, that there's a different there's a different way of controlling, and it is through connection. And I think that's the irony of what happens in the U.S. is that when there is the not under my roof approach, young people, both girls and boys, often have to disconnect from their parents around their sexual life. And yeah, right, because it, does, it doesn't mean that they're going to just stop and turn off that part of themselves. It just means they're going to do it, but just not under your roof. Yes. So that means they're going to be doing it out somewhere else and keeping it secret from you. Yes. And you're not going to be able to talk about it. And they're not going to share when things don't go well and there's stuff that they're not sure about and they need help with. Um, you're just going to drive it underground. Yeah. I mean, and in fact, that is also really as I said, coming back to that motivational force is partly intellectual, partly kind of wanting to, to offer something that could be of help, knowing that a lot of times teenagers in America, not only around sexuality, but also around alcohol and so forth, are kind of off on their own, doing their own thing without adult help. We're here with Amy Shallot talking about how to handle the teenage co-ed sleepover. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. That is something that, in my experience, resonates with American men, even college men. Say, you know, hey, why did no one talk to me about love? When you use harsh rules, then subverting the rules becomes a goal in and of itself. In a nutshell, that is the cultural difference. And I think it's more so that than, you know, the difference in contraception rates or fear of teen pregnancy. Right. No, that's what strikes me with this word that you just, when you were talking about, it. it's like, well, but that's what's at the core that of it. That is what's know? at the core of it. Um, that's what it's, that's at the yeah. core of it. Because, you know, and, and honestly, I'll just connect it to what I see in, in my students who are, of course, no longer living under their parents' roof. But yeah, it's very similar. Is, 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 you know, they think that relationships, and they've also been taught, hold them back. And of course, sometimes that right. is the case. And I, you know, not every relationship is a healthy relationship and there's all those issues. However, you know, I think everywhere in the world, also in the United States, people need connection. And when that is kind of put on the back burner, that's doesn't make for a happier life. Mm -hmm. 
Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.